1: Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, and today's guest has $4.7 million in live MTT caches, including a $1.9 million victory at the 2016 Five Diamond Poker Classic, the one and only James Romero. James is a giant in the world of poker and a force at every single table he sits down at. Despite his poker accolades, James lives a low-key, chill lifestyle while finding joy in helping those around him. In today's very special round two conversation, you're going to learn how Isaac Barron and Mike Timex McDonald, two titans in the online poker world, influenced James' early poker career the value and importance of networking in poker, how Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are things you must familiarize yourself with if you want to make it in the poker world, and much, much more. And as a heads up, James is also going to drop greatness bombs on how you can manufacture big MTT scores, as well as share his opinion on the future of online poker. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with one of the most elite professional poker players in the entire Milky Way galaxy, James Romero. James, welcome back to the show, man. How you been?
0: Hello. Nice to talk to you again. Had a good, uh, good show the first time. It's about a year ago, I think. Probably about a year ago.
1: Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I know you, you mentioned in our pre- cbg conversation that you haven't really been playing much poker in the past six months so let's give the the listener a little bit update of what you've been doing
0: yeah so i'm still involved in the community uh i still talk to all the high stakes pros and more of a liquidity provider now i'm just helping people get money on different sites and uh some of the sites in america are taking off so yeah, kind of wor- working, uh, working with my network and on different behind the scenes things. Uh, yeah, that's it. And I haven't been, I haven't been grinding really, and also working a lot with crypto and Bitcoin. But uh, yeah, that's it.
1: So why why haven't you been grinding?
0: I did very well for myself over the past year with Bitcoin, and I don't, um, I, I don't feel the need to grind out a smaller. Uh, hourly, I'm also like very bullish on the future of crypto. I have uh, quite a large bankroll, and I don't think I can beat like the 25k's online and the 10k's and the high rollers. Uh, and this the medium stake stuff doesn't really interest me.
1: Okay, so that's why. So basically, you need to light light the fire to start tackling the 10k's and 25k's if you're going to go for it.
0: Pretty much. I'm going to play online. I want to play the highest stakes. And I, I don't think that hourly is there for me.
1: Cool, man. What about live poker? It's getting ready to, yeah, f- when,
0: when live poker comes back for sure, I'm going to be firing. Uh, it's a completely different animal. Like I'm going to, uh, Seminole here in two weeks for the hard rock series. Uh, I'm sure I'll play a lot in Vegas. You know, there's, there's tons of fish and, uh, the regs aren't as uh, good as the high rollers online.
1: Yeah, for sure. When, when it's, when something is geo fenced in, the competition level just kind of drops because you know online anybody can fire up from wherever they're at, but not everybody's going to fly to Florida.
0: Exactly, the cost of traveling is pretty high. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why live games are softer.
1: Cool, man. So we're gonna we're gonna go in like a time machine and go back, and, and we're gonna talk about some things that have happened in your career and this round two template has been set up to uh you know talk about some of your most favorite least favorite sessions and the question that we start out with is who is your biggest influence in becoming a poker professional and why
0: probably would have been Isaac Barron or Mike McDonald just watching all of their content on card runners in the early days uh, was really exciting they were like uh, some of the only people that I connected with had a mathematical understanding of the game. Were just like very good, very good instructors. Uh, they who they were young. You know, I aspired to be to be like them. They were making big money when you know I was in college, and my you know next best opportunity to make income would have been at like fifteen dollars an hour.
1: Yeah, I, I remember Card Runners has a very near and dear place in my own heart seeing like the Cole Souths and the Brian Townsend videos back in the day. It was like the first time seeing people doing like a play and explain it like 1K and L and it was like, holy shit, like this is it was insane. Yeah. Um, they,
0: ran, they ran up, they're like little entrepreneurs, right? They ran up bankrolls from like 50 bucks to a million uh, in a few years. It, it's just very exciting, very very exciting space. And yeah. you know, and, and it was and it was fun. Poker's fun too. So,
1: oh for sure. And just see, like hearing thought processes of people who are playing on like such a high level was just really really amazing for the first time. And uh, you mentioned Bitcoin. I'm I'm pretty sure Cole South is retired from poker. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, so I, is I, Mike
0: <laughs> McDonald actually. So, but,
1: and they both like yeah. Bitcoin, from what I've heard.
0: Yeah. Timex is a huge bull and has been. He he has a company now. I think I think he has a mining company.
1: Does he? I, I know okay. he has like the PokerShares.com, right?
0: No, he he has a Bitcoin company as well.
1: Oh, Timex. That guy. I need to get that guy on the pod. Um haven't had Timex on yet.
0: Yeah, he's great.
1: So tell me the story of your favorite session ever.
0: So favorite uh Favorite online session. I took like a second, some T-Coop 215 for like 130K. I think at the time it like increased my bankroll by like 40% or something. It's pretty epic.
1: Tell me about the day. Like just
0: the early, the early wins, uh, the early big wins like that. Like obviously 215 large fields was at the top of my bankroll at the time. But the early wins for six figures or high five figures just does so much for your future earning potential. Like it's much more than just that raw amount because as a poker player or as a good poker player, you should be saving most of that money and just injecting that into your bankroll so you can move up slowly. So it's, it's not winning a hundred K. It's not just winning a hundred K, but it also increases your annual expectation for like the next five years. So making sure you have, scores like that early on in a career is monumental. Like if you look at like Charlie Carroll's career, um, he I think he like final table the Sunday million twice within a short time period. Uh, And he was grinding low stakes before that. I mean, when you have a score like that and then you use bankroll management after uh, you're, you know, you can guarantee yourself success or you you can increase the frequency at which you're going to stay in the industry and have a solid career. So uh, just scores like that, and then I think like three months later, uh, chopped the Super Tuesday, um, and prior to that, my highest buy-in was a you know like a two hundred.
1: Yeah. So tell me, somebody that's starting out playing MTTs, those scores are so valuable just down the line, right? Because your average buy-in goes up, which means your hourly goes up, assuming you have a positive ROI. How would you suggest somebody? who's beginning their poker career with somewhat small bankroll trying to, you know, manufacture one of these scores.
0: You have to, so the score will come along with studying, right? First you have to have, um, you just have to study a lot and, and prepare yourself. But the key is when you have these scores is to keep living the same way that you were living before and not, uh, overextending yourself, uh, saving and, um, Basically, the return on your savings, I think, is un- understated uh, in our industry, and you you just have to have you have to be very aggressive with saving early on, uh, and keep costs low and expand uh, buy-in size. Uh, I mean, it's very important to get in the large field fish events on Sunday, like uh, the 109s on Sunday, the 215s on Sunday, are incredibly easy to beat, but the bankroll to get there is not. So, uh, yeah, that's my advice is just be super, super aggro with saving when you're when you're starting out, you know, as you as your annual income gets much larger then you can, you can be a little bit looser. Uh, but especially when you're starting out, you just have to be aggro with saving. Agro. And, and that goes for that goes with life in general, right? Like all capital that you have should have a nice return. You know, there's so many different investments that, uh, you know, even the stock market is averaging like eight or nine percent a year. So just having savings and gaining return off of savings. It works the same way in poker.
1: How would you structure it? If like you were starting over and you had zero Bitcoins and $10,000 in cash, like what what would be your $10,000
0: in cash. Uh, I'm playing MTT, mass tabling, small stakes, MTTs, studying very hard, working 50, 60 hours a week and using primedope.com calculator to calculate variance. I inundate myself in study groups so I stay involved and keep it interesting, keep costs low. You know, you probably, if if you're mobile, you probably want to live in a city like Vegas or Florida where uh, living expenses are relatively low. And then you also have the option of playing live when games are good. Yeah, all of that. Getting on good sites, you know, make sure you're networking. The value of your network. Is so important, uh, in every industry, but especially in poker, it can open doors for you, right? Getting in the right games or meeting the right affiliate. That'll give you high rake back, putting you on the right sites, getting backing if you need it. Um, just make sure to put a lot of effort into your personal relationships and, and have a lot of energy, you know, even if someone reaches out to you and you don't necessarily want to talk to them that much, just be as helpful as, as you can and just do it with a smile on your face. You know, even if it's exhausting, um, And you get in the routine of doing that. And over time, you know, it pays off.
1: I remember in our first conversation, you were talking about making spreadsheets and helping people out, just expecting nothing in return and building your network as you were coming up and how valuable that was to you, right?
0: I'll tell you what, it's paying off. It's really paying off. You know, I've met a lot of great people over the years and uh, developed relationships with these people. You know, and when these people need to hire, hire people in the poker industry, they're going to reach out to their close friends who they've uh, established rapport with. Like, you're not going to be, I I think fewer and fewer jobs are um, being hired out to people that are turning in resumes and applying like online. I think, you know, jobs in the modern uh, business economy are being handed out to people, uh, friends of friends, you know, just people that you've developed relationships with over the years. Maybe these people are, um, you know, less qualified for the position. Um, but you know that their ethic is high and their energy is high and, you know, they can make, they can uh, bridge that gap um, with other, you know, values. You know, I, as for me, like I had a stable and I can tell you right now, like you, you don't, you can't really tell anything over an hour two hours, three hours of interviews. Um, you have to work with people over a consistent basis over months to figure out like what their values are and uh, how they think about life and their work ethic and their, you know, Good good behaviors or their um yeah, um things uh things that they're consistently doing well and things that they're not. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's tough like those relationships, even in like private coaching, right? Where you do ten sessions with somebody, it just takes time to get to know them, to understand really does. what to expect.
0: Yeah. So if you can make that process um as least costly for the other person as possible. Um, that'll benefit you in the long run. And by least costly, I just mean, like, make it enjoyable. Instead of an hour conversation on the phone asking them about their life, you know, you're going out to dinner, you're going on a cool, like, expedition, you're going ATVing in a forest, like, uh, you know.
1: Bonding, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, but just putting yourself in a fun situation to get to know someone rather than to the traditional, like, you know, show me how you did in college and what you learned, and write this essay. Like I, I don't want, I don't want to deal with any of that.
1: Right. Yeah. Plus you get to have fun the other way too, which is a nice perk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So some people call it organic building relationships organically. Um, you know, that that's one way to see it.
1: You mentioned a stable. Are you still doing said stable? Is that still part of your life?
0: Yeah. Um, so I had a stable last year. And I ended up giving that stable to my friends at Standard Backing, the guys that I kept. And that is because my hourly was so much higher doing other projects. So I still have a good relationship with um, with all of the guys uh, that I had uh, when I passed the stable off. Um, but unfortunately, no, I'm not managing that anymore. It was a ton of work, a lot of personal coaching. A lot of one-on-ones group discussion on discord obviously i have to keep my game sharp you know giving producing good content so i give them good value uh and i was do i was managing it all alone and then i also had other ventures as well i was playing myself and then i was you know i'm a liquidity provider for a lot of american games
1: tell me what, what does that mean too? the liquidity provider for a lot of american games
0: yeah. So just, um, helping people get funds quickly and efficiently for really low margins, uh, when they need it.
1: For like, is it, what kind of for, games? We for about?
0: everything that you can possibly think of any type of wallet online or, you know, cash in Vegas, I'm going to Seminole Hard Rock in Miami, you know, in a week from now, and I'm going to have 40 regs asking me if they can have money for the main event for the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh bullet. Uh, So just, you know, helping people uh, get funding for buy-ins, you know, safely and efficiently.
1: Yeah. So people don't have to fly across the country with like 100K in their backpack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or deal with Bank of America, you know, on a Saturday at 2 p.m. (laughs) And then trying to project how many bullets they're going to fire. And then, you know, 25K looks really good. So, you know, we need a bullet for that now, but that wasn't projected
1: that makes sense and i'm assuming crypto is a large part of that because that seems like the easiest way
0: yeah bitcoin helps
1: bitcoin, bitcoin does helps help a
0: lot. we've all adopted that yeah for payment processing low cost fast
1: i don't know why i don't know why if you're in the poker space if you're listening to this right now please learn about bitcoin and learn about crypto because it is so easy it makes your life so easy as when it comes to like moving money around and getting money on sites. And, you know, like James just said, getting money while you're traveling, right? Um,
0: utility. Yeah. I mean, and that, we didn't even mention the like compounded annual growth rates, but yeah, just the utility of this of the currency is nice.
1: Yeah. And, and it takes like 20 minutes to like get a rough understanding of, of what's going on, you know?
0: Oh, that too. Yeah.
1: All right. So. Tell me, we we mentioned your favorite poker session, right? The early victory, uh, early six figure victory. What about least favorite? Do you have any memories? If you could like walk walk the listener through a day, a horrible day in the life of James Romero.
0: Torching off tons to taxes. Uh, <laughs> like honestly, that's the worst one. I remember sending in a tax bill for like a hundred and thirty k one year, and I, it's just horrible, man.
1: Feels bad. Uh,
0: like, yeah, just like what I said about having a big six figure score, you know, propelling your bankroll so you can play higher. As soon as you send that tax check in, your, your uh, projected annual income is now diminished substantially. That's been that was really bad. Um, just just general tax, just general taxes is high think probably haunting for everyone.
1: Probably on your mind because we're like, we're as we're recording this, we're five days away from tax day.
0: Yeah um i got mine i get mine done way early but yeah um but as for like a single bad session i don't i don't fire really hard on any specific buy-ins i, I don't like take tons of risk with my uh buy-in so there's not like one session comes out to mine um i i mean i guess like bubbling a final table sometime but uh you know what i just life. Every tournament i play <laughs> no, i'm just what, kidding what I, a, what I, I a I, life don't. james yeah uh yeah yeah Probably busting out of some main event deep. I don't remember.
1: No bad no memorable bad days at the office for Mr. Romero. Life is good in the sun. What about uh pots one? So when do you when you think of pots one, do you have any pots that like spring to mind that were very gratifying?
0: Yeah, so like just winning huge flips, like deep in the Bellagio main. I remember a, a couple huge flips. Uh I had this hand versus... Richard Seymour, uh, there was 12 left in the Bellagio main.
1: NFL, was, NFL, little
0: yeah, yeah, pro yeah. Richard Seymour. Yeah, uh, and we both had massive stacks, and I was all in on, I, I shoved all in on the turn, and I had a combo draw, and I had the confidence to talk him into folding um, Ace King on Ace XX. Ooh. I, you know, I I forgot specifically what I said, but he was like trying to get information out of me. And it, this is obviously like the most nervous I've, you know, probably ever been in my life. This is, you know, I'm 2 million up top. There's 12 left. I have a huge stack. The equity of my stack is worth like four or 500K, um, you know, and this is my first live 10K. And, um, you know, and I'm I'm all in on the turn and I have a draw and he's like talking to me about my hand. And I like very confidently anyone else would be shaking. And I very confidently like asked them some question. I would only ask if I had two pair plus like, and then smirked after, like, (laughs) I know I got you. And I don't know how I came up with like that moment of like genius uh, and confidence mix, but it was, it was just amazing. He, it, it was like, 75 or so, I would say 75% of his stack was all in or was in the pot already. So he was getting like six to one on a call or something. And he ended up folding ace king on ace XX, and there was no flush or straight possibilities. So I, that was that was super epic. Yeah, and, that's
1: uh, incredible. He, he, he'll, he, yeah, he
0: ended up finding out somehow that I was bluffing because I showed someone behind me. And uh, forever, he's every time he sees me at a live, he's just I just get mad respect for him. like that's some nasty shit bro
1: it is man i I can tell you like as somebody that's played a lot of cash in live cash in my life like being able to feel comfortable enough to speak and do it where in a way that you don't fall apart where it feels natural and confident is very very difficult when you're bluffing (laughs) it it is very very difficult
0: yeah yeah especially in those spots yeah
1: oh I, i mean you're talking about a spot with $2 million up top. Like, that's... Yeah. Who knows? You you just found it somewhere inside yourself, and <laughs> you just set it. And uh, careful, careful when you're playing against the crushers of the world, and you're trying to get information through talking to them, because sometimes it doesn't work the way that you would like it to work. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct?
2: Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening and yesterday I played a session of uh one KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks flop turn river into me and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead and the course is $99 so (laughs) <laughs> definitely paid for itself very very quickly and, and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 no limit like I think this is a course that will very very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes and I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the greatness village slack group is what do donks mean how do I deal with donk bets I, I think that's got to be like in the top three most frequently asked questions
1: you, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like
2: you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all that in for yourself. I feel like you, you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I am almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is.
1: if you'd like to check out neutralize flop leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single raised pot head to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash n-u-f-f-l-e and now back to the show All right, so what about pots lost? Any gut punches in pots lost? Lost,
0: um, can't not nothing really coming to mind.
1: Yeah, you just win them all. This guy.
0: They come to mind.
1: <laughs> um, could you tell me a poker lesson you've learned from a dark teacher? So this is a negative experience. Something, a bit of wisdom.
0: Okay. As someone that someone has taught me yeah you're saying
1: sure an experience that kind of that went poorly but you learned a very valuable lesson out of it
0: can't really think of any either yeah i i kind of stay out of like risky behavior or um you know, i i don't um i don't i don't get myself in too many bad spots where negative stuff can happen i and as for stories i mean i had a I had a good friend that did a 500k swap in Brussels a few months ago, and uh, the bag was the bag that he was collecting was filled with counterfeit bills.
1: Oh shit! Five
0: hundred thousand dollars a euro of counterfeit bills.
1: Wow, what happens? A pretty bad one.
0: It, yeah, it was just a uh, you know Bitcoin for cash swap in 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 Brussels, and
1: uh, it was counterfeit.
0: It was so, counterfeit bills. I had never heard of that before. I mean. It's very rare to hear about counterfeit stories, and then you throw in the fact it was 500k euro, and the receiver accepted the euro for cash, so he didn't even realize it. I mean, he probably checked the bills, uh, and they looked legitimate enough. 500k, you know, that's a lot of counterfeit.
1: And they, never, they
0: never got the back the money. Obviously, you can't like.
1: Bitcoin's hardcore. That's the thing about Bitcoin. Once you once you press the button, it's gone. Yeah. And that that that's this, a- this was a
0: major trader. It wasn't like a recreational trader
1: yeah and so the lesson to learn there is if you're
0: lots of verification always but i but i'm always really good with that i always you know i i always do my due diligence i know everybody i know who um you know who everyone's backer is best friends are you know
1: you're so you're just on top of it man you're just on top of. i read a lot i'm I, (laughs) i
0: all i do is spend all my days every day just like in chats with poker players
1: not surprising. Fifteen
0: that, chats with six hundred plus people, and I read I read everything. So,
1: not surprising that you've had so much success in the poker world. You're yeah, very very prepared. What would you consider a weakness in your poker game, and or a weakness that you had in your poker game, and then what stakes or what steps did you take to overcome said weakness?
0: I remember I used to try to play like Fedor early days a lot, and Fedor used to play like super super aggro and he only got away with it because people were so bad at the time but over the years that style uh became less and less profitable i don't think i adjusted as much and then i you know i went through a very very nitty phase uh and now i'm somewhere in between but uh, (laughs) that's
1: a funny two phases super aggro to nitty
0: yeah well i've matured you know and you learn more and you uh you know you want to try to play properly but yeah i mean the 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 gap between the great players and the the rest of the regs used to be so large that you could get away with uh just playing you know wider ranges and uh playing more like a freestyle
1: and i'm uh, guessing but that
0: that just isn't true anymore so you you have to adapt
1: what's changed over the last few years
0: i mean all of these solvers it, yeah there's just so much more accuracy in every part of the game tree.
1: Basically more knowledge, uh high power tools yeah. that
0: Yeah, even even uh even like my students are just work they work so hard on on uh pre flop ranges and then you know, a lot of them have Pio now or post flop solvers and they study really hard. You know, they have big Excel sheets out and they're just always reading and thinking about hands it's it it didn't used to be like this you know back in the day timex was like the only person who was like uh integrating math into poker like people weren't even like talking about like pot odds and frequency of like correct decision making and uh percentages like poker wasn't talked about like that it was more of like this like philosophical uh thought you know there weren't a lot of sharp hard uh, hardworking young kids in the game. It was kind of more like uh, you know, if, if this was your hobby, then you turn pro. That's
1: it. It's funny that the whole pot odds thing, because I tweeted the other day that making bad calls shouldn't give you nightmares, but making bad folds should. And it's just funny, like even talking about the Richard Seymour hand, right? Where he's getting like six to one on the turn, it's like, man, you, you gotta have like you got you, you got to have 14 percent equity to call like you just can't you can't fold yeah right and, um and really that's how the game of poker is meant to be played like because of the pot odds model you're supposed to call a ton because you're always getting a good price
0: yeah and if you're not if you're not constantly studying the question becomes uh does he have it or does he not have it you know
1: yeah binary <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's more like can i do I win if I call the river here more than twenty five percent of the time? okay, I do so I call and expect to lose a lot yeah, what do you think's a a common assumption people make about their poker careers that you think they should spend more time thinking about
0: ah uh, future future e v like um looking at where they think the industry will be in like five or ten years and then making uh making decisions about where they're Placing their career based on that you know for instance like a cash game player playing two five or five ten uh just grinding out an hourly um i think i think that's a bit short-sighted and you know in those games have a very low barrier to entry and i think the hourly is probably low and will get lower over the years uh whereas i think if you get into tournaments i think the opposite it's a high barrier to entry, so we can expect less pros and less people uh, treating poker like a business and running like a profitable profitable model in the wrong, long run. Um, I, I think that people need to, uh, you know, just be more, look at the grander, the greater picture and try to position their careers a little bit differently than they do.
1: Where, where could they go to research the bigger picture so that they can kind of... Create their vision for themselves?
0: I guess reading forums online, talking to friends, trying to think about what ROIs are in tournaments, how many buy ins you can get in a year. You can use sites like uh, Hand and Mob to look at you know, how many live tournaments there are in the US in a year, internationally in a year, how many are realistic to be able to play. Um, same thing with online games i think that like right now obviously we're in a huge boom but like you know what does the future of online look like in 10 years is that where you want to be yeah base and yeah basically just like career projecting future uh, earnings for your career i think is is overlooked people are just happy to put in the hours at uh you know whatever they're doing take their hourly wage uh and and then don't think anything past that
1: yeah becoming, much like you would
0: see in a traditional uh any traditional business industry,
1: yeah for sure and and becoming more well rounded too you know just exploring tournaments, exploring cash, exploring p l o because
0: yes the yeah.
1: more the better you get at more games, the more opportunity there is um and the less at risk you are if your game takes a hit, like you know like online cash, for instance,
0: yeah, so game selection, yeah. There's a lot more than, yeah, there's a lot more than specifically solvers and then, you know, cash games.
1: For sure. And you mentioned traveling around playing tournaments. Like, what do you think is, I mean, what do you think is an expected yearly earn for somebody trapped? Because like, it feels to me very, very difficult to travel and play like 1K to 5K tournaments and pay for expenses over the course of like two or three weeks. But maybe I'm wrong.
0: Um. Yeah, traveling in tournaments. I I have a spreadsheet to this. I'm not going to pull them out now because it takes take too long. But uh, so I would want to position myself in Vegas. I think it's completely doable. That's the short answer. If I'm going to do it, if I'm going to become a live tournament pro, which I think is completely fine, uh, and cap- and I think any most people are capable of doing it over enough time. You want to live in Vegas. Uh, flights to LA, flights to Florida are really cheap, and and those those will just be your three main cities. I think over a year you could probably put in 400k in buy-ins uh, if you're turning out like a 35% ROI, which is definitely on the lower side, uh, and includes tons of like re-entries, late entries, you know, maybe playing a little bit looser at the beginning of uh, live 1ks and 2ks. The tournaments on the lower end of your buy-in schedule um you know a, a, a decent salary starts to become um achievable you know you probably have to sell action for the larger events which means you need some networking uh involved in your business model and then yeah i think it can grow over the years uh and then you can supplement your income with other things maybe you play uh cash games two nights a week friday and saturday night in vegas um and then the rest of your time you spent either studying or working on investments, um, you know learning about the real estate or stock market, making sure you're saving adequately. yeah the, the key component here like I was talking about earlier is just saving like uh, making sure that you have investments and um, and saving money. can't be especially in poker like in in the traditional business world, okay like if you want to spend hundred percent of your income, I think it's stupid, but it's you know you're probably still going to get by in poker. If you do that, you're just never going to make it. So yeah. it requires other skills, and you should be studying uh, how to get better at these other skills.
1: And basically, you want to get to the point where you can play games that are big enough or tournaments that are big enough to where you have a really good yearly salary, so that you can save more money. Right? You don't want to just be getting by um right. you want to be above that threshold significantly and the only way to get there is by playing stakes that allow you to you know increase your yearly salary um a lot of people have problems
0: putting in a lot of hours per week if they don't have a boss telling them that they have to like i have course. a lot of i have a lot of uh, live pro friends that just they work like 15 hours a week uh i don't i don't understand
1: Beware the freedom, being
0: disciplined, right? Yeah, being disciplined, making sure that your, um, you know, your romantic or family lifestyle matches the poker lifestyle. You can't have five kids if you're going to be traveling a lot. Um, yeah. Make
1: good decisions. It's, uh, Yeah, just basically make good decisions, be smart. Um, you mentioned something that piqued my interest. You, you said 35% ROI is on the low end. What, what's the high end for these live MTTs? The
0: I really don't have the data for that, and it's also going to be highly dependent on who we're talking about. You know, are we talking about an average Vegas reg?
1: Let's talk uh, about you. That loser, or <laughs> you were uh, higher echelon, medium echelon, and then lower.
0: I don't have a good answers to you here. I, I I think it would be like a someone you'd want to talk to is like a stable owner, online stable owner that, that deals with variants more, but it's high. Uh, it's high. I, I, I watch all of the media content. I watch all the Instagram stories of all these live guys playing the tournaments uh, from week to week. I love looking at the player pools and it's all fish. I mean, we're 65% complete fish. And when I mean fish, I mean, just being like ESPN dads, just people who barely play poker. Like they, they've just seen it on TV. Uh, they work a normal job and they play 10 tournaments a year. 20 tournaments a year, like a Vegas Friday night two five game. Like that's who are those are the types of people that are showing up for your three Ks. Uh so the industry is very, very good at seven, you know, six, seven fish a table in these low stakes games. So I think ROIs can be insane. I yeah. don't know specifically what percentages, but you know, and this goes back to my conversation I was just talking about with cash games in Vegas versus tournaments in Vegas. Just like night and day, you need to be in the right spots. And I think too many people are grinding five and five ten cash.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's only anecdotal for me, but I can say that like playing the few tournaments that I've played, it was astonishing. Like the fifteen hundred or the three Ks, just messing around because I don't really play a ton of tournaments. I play mostly cash. Um, It's wild. It was crazy. I was like, what the hell? There's like five lippers and like we're eight hours into the day and people are like still lipping from under the gun and stuff. It was, it was the most bizarre thing <laughs> that I've experienced.
0: And then they're like, they try to chop nine ways and final tables and stuff. It's, it, it, it's a completely different animal live tournaments.
1: Yeah. The dude sitting to the left of me, i I'll, I'll, I'll never forget because it was like a WSOP circuit event. I was only playing because I was, Visiting and connecting with some friends from home games uh, that I hadn't seen in years, and the dude on my left was limping. Very nice guy, but limping very often. And we were chatting, and he's like, "Yeah, I've got like four circuit rings." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Like, yeah, it's it's kind of dumbfounding."
0: Yeah, so I think uh, I think it's definitely doable playing just tournaments for a living. I mean, a lot of people are doing it. A lot of uh, you know regs that don't study that much are making decent livings. You know, doing it, they almost all live in Vegas.
1: Yeah, I think Vegas is probably got to be the spot, right? Just cheap. You have to
0: live there. It's so it's so cheap. It's a good lifestyle. Taxes are low. Um, You always have access to poker. I mean, there's been poker tournaments here running daily for daily in Vegas for past what like two months, and 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 a lot of good ones.
1: Have you been to Texas, any? Do you have any experience there?
0: um i had some students from texas i'm and and i've driven through there not for poker but uh i I think it has a really booming poker economy right now and i I wouldn't be surprised to see like like, legalization in the next like five years 10 years uh there's just so much demand for poker in texas yeah so like bigger casinos i think is something that i mean there is it is legal to play in the like these small card rooms but i think we could see like bigger casinos is what i meant like more something like a win or an encore or something like that but yeah they have a they have a series next week my friend told me about fourteen hundred one mil played at a bunch of different day one is like at a bunch of different like um little small card rooms and then they all meet up for day two in some city but the yeah. private game the private games are huge in texas
1: i i mean the public games are pretty big like public um, games
0: are pretty good big
1: yeah, why why would somebody play in a private game? I guess when they have access to public games, that's always something that kind of confuses me.
0: I wouldn't do it. Um, you, well, the the thought is that you're playing with friends. You get to play much higher stakes than you would in public. Um, if you don't like people, they don't get the invite to the game. So the game's always just going to be run better. You know. That being said, I'd be very, very worried about private games.
1: A lot of uh, things I'd, can go wrong. I
0: would never, I would never play private games. But you know, I know a lot of people who do so.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've played them, and it's been more bad than good, I think, over the years. Just having to chase money, not getting paid, and just all kinds of dumb shenanigans when you're not not at a place where you have any kind of oversight or power. Yeah. What's a poker-related thing other people rave about that hasn't worked for you?
0: Uh, I mean, private games is one of them. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I guess just next question, I can't really think of anything.
1: People rave about private games. I keep he- like I've been out of the live world for like the last six years, so like more it- often
0: not than yes. But you know, there are some there are some people who make a living out of private big private games.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: or like hosting a private hosting a private game inside of a casino, I think is completely fine, and I think a lot of people have been able to do that very successfully. Uh, I you know I don't know anything about doing that. I don't I don't really think that I could one together for high stakes but uh
1: you know yeah but you know the people that could and that's the that's power of the network right? yeah
0: yeah <laughs> um
1: what are some things you wish you said no to more often in your in the poker world
0: time just uh being more selfish with time over the years uh you know not not doing uh anything on the weekends like actually just staying in friday through sunday uh was not easy when i was younger especially starting out you know, you're in college, Have all your friends are going out on the weekends, but uh, being smarter with time, sleep management, bankroll management, I could have done better, being more aggressive with networking when I was younger. That's kind of a uh, kind of a trait or habit I picked up over the years, but I think I could have done that. It, it also helped me to not network when I was, uh, when I was younger sometimes, because I, I kind of had all of the cutting edge um, information and my win rates were really high, and I kind of kept kept my win rates high and kept my information private, and I think that helped me out, um, you know. But as my career has changed into more live tournaments and uh, you know meeting people and developing more business connections, you know that's kind of changed. So, yeah, yeah.
1: So it made sense at the time to keep. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. keeping information private when it gives you an edge is right. not the worst thing to do. Right. Um. What are some things you wish you said yes to more often that maybe you didn't?
0: I think taking every traveling opportunity you can uh, when you're starting out on your MTT circuit grind, like especially if you want to play internationally, um, even if you're even if the like the EV of the event that you're going to is going to be very low or almost zero because of travel costs, you should just take every single opportunity you can. Uh, to, to travel to international events, pretty much any live events, really. Like even if you think um your EV is very small, just showing up, putting in the volume, making sure you know every day you're thinking about playing poker, thinking about poker, studying poker, and just you're uh, maintaining uh, the mindset that you're in the grind of poker is important. Just like consistency, just showing up to work every day.
1: That's a even little... if it's low EV. That's a little bit uh, counter to the good decisions earlier, right? Like, what is there? there's inherent value in just traveling, right? And the new experiences and all of that. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I was playing online. Now I'm playing live.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all have seasons in our lives, too. And as we get older and gain more responsibility, maybe we meet someone, we get married, maybe we have kids or a family, and, like, you lose those opportunities, right? Like like you said, if you have five kids, it's pretty hard. True to, too. Pretty hard to travel, uh, you know, nine months out of every single year. Right. Have you ever strongly believed something about poker, only to reverse course later on? And if so, what led to that change?
0: I mean countless things. Uh, and it's always talking to very smart people around me that have studied more than me and deferring to them. But, you know, everything from pre-flop aggression, pre-flop nittiness, post aggression. I'm very quick to adapt in everything, investments, you name it. I think it's, uh, people are afraid to admit that they're wrong and change and, uh, and are very rigid minded. And I think it's uh, very detrimental uh, to anyone's career, especially in poker. Uh, new information comes out so fast.
1: It's good being wrong. Like yeah. this is the, my philosophy. It's like when you're wrong, you learn something and you grow the person who's right. They don't gain anything. Like it, you should actively challenge your assumptions and challenge your beliefs because when you're wrong, you are better for it.
0: Yeah. Keep people around you that are going to keep you honest too. You don't want friends that just agree with everything you say blindly. Make mistakes quickly. Like just don't be afraid to make mistakes, but just get through it fast.
1: That's the thing that, uh, serves you well just in the poker world too. Just don't be afraid of mistakes. Make them and learn from them and move forward. Most of the, you know, some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned in poker stem from just totally fucking up (laughs) some really big spots and then thinking about them afterwards. Yeah, You mentioned the future landscape of poker at the beginning of this. Anything you want to say about what you foresee to be the future landscape of poker?
0: Yeah, I think online will slowly die over the over the years, but I think everyone uh, everyone agrees on that over the long term, right? I, I don't mean like short term. And then I also, you know, kind of think the same thing about cash games. We talked about this a bunch, but on the other side, I think tournaments will always be huge. I don't think there's going to be enough uh, good pros in the game that can maintain, you know, million dollar bankrolls to to play to uh, to manage the swings of. The typical tournament schedule from year to year, like not not only do you have to manage swings uh, of poker variants but then you also have to pay yourself your you know your life expenses if you're spending like a hundred k a year, you know that's guaranteed uh, negative, like basically a guaranteed hundred k downswing a year,
1: and so you make some risky investments or do some silly things, stake the wrong people, and all of a sudden you're in trouble yeah
0: or even if you make smart investments like you know the stock market's going to go down at some point 40 percent. so I, I just don't think that this end industry will ever be efficient ever so I, i'm super bullish on like the future of tournaments
1: yeah i mean i can't imagine a world where tournaments disappear cash games like with botting rta these kind of things i mean these are Possible existential threats. I think live cash game will just be fine, probably forever, uh-huh. too. Uh huh. Yeah. Cool, man. So we'll wrap up. And uh w- w- do you have any projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart that you'd like to talk about?
0: Not really. I'm excited to get back to live poker starting with the series here in September. Not any huge projects. Researching a lot of uh, decentralized finance right now. Like an Ethereum project, that's it. Nothing else.
1: And you're gonna be as soon as you can. You'll be jumping back. Are you gonna jump back into like the high rollers, the big ones?
0: Yeah, everything. Everything. Every, everything.
1: Cool, man. I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to get back in there, battling in the high rollers.
0: Yeah. Good games, big prize pools, uh, nice, uh, nice locations, nice, good traveling, good food. Yeah.
1: Can't lose. Cool, man. James, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, final question will be if the chasing, uh, let me <laughs> let me try that again. If the chasing poker greatness audience wants to learn more about you, where can they go on the World Wide Web?
0: Uh, you can follow me on every media platform. Just search my name, James Romero, or check out uh, Jonathan Little's site, pokercoaching.com, for uh, good training content.
1: Yeah, I make stuff for them too. So, pokercoaching.com right, cool. is a good place. Cole, James, have a good rest of your day, man. Really appreciate your time and your energy. Thank you, Brad. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.